Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Triple, and as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are very, very pleased to present to you yet another movie from 1975. Yes, sir. This one directed by noted, acclaimed photographer and director Gordon Parks Jr. Yes, Kevin Hooks, Irene Cara in Aaron Loves Angela. Tonight's stop on the Michelle Mission brought to you by our very special guest who is now in the green room waiting patiently for me to bring her to the air. She's I'm, back there having some cheese and crackers. I don't know. I, I don't believe she's having cheese and crackers. She's Maybe sitting a Slurpee. No, she doesn't. I, I don't Slurpee. I don't see a Slurpee. Okay. She has she has a glass of what looks appears to be water. Okay. Okay. She will correct me and tell me that it is vodka guess right. when she comes on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for screenwriter Tony Ann Johnson. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Uh let us know. Water or vodka? It's water. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't come on your show tipsy. That would not be professional or kind. <laughs> no, that would be Michelle after dark. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's one thing people say about us or two things, I guess they say we are professional and we are kind. Oh, that's good to know. I appreciate that. <laughs> I wanted to mention that I'm I'm also um, a writer of fiction. So I was a screenwriter, but right now I'm working on books. So I have a book coming out, which is partly why I wanted to come here, just to be able to let more people know about that. Um, okay, excellent. Oh, great, great. Did you we're... not know that? Did Did your friend um, Maurice not tell you that? <laughs> he did. T- he did tell me that you were moving into the into the the realm of fictions and novels. Um, but I was going to get it to that into okay. in our conversation. But it's all good. We we love it. Um, shout out to everyone in the chat watching us as we are streaming live to. YouTube, as well as to Facebook, um, each and every one of you out there in the chat. Hello, hello, hello. Good and, evening, one and all. And to you, Deborah, uh, to you, Tony, Deborah Battle says hello, Len, Vincent, and Tony. Hi. So we are looking, we are looking forward. This is going to be a lot of fun, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, hey, you already like told everybody you're moving into the realm of fiction and you have a book coming out. What is the book that you have coming coming out? It's called Light Skin Gone to Waste. And it's a linked short story collection, autobiographical fiction about my family and our experience in a white town in, in upstate New York during mm. the 1960s and 70s. And the book won the Flannery O'Connor Award last year. And Roxanne Gay was the judge and she's the editor. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a big, big fan of Roxanne Gay. So. And, and you said it's coming now. So, so we'll... Yeah, it, it'll be out October 15th. It's October... available for pre-order, though. Um, they can order on Amazon or UGA Press's website or bookshop.org or Barnes and Noble or Thrift Books. There's lots of all the online bookstores should have all the online bookstores, ladies and gentlemen. Go check, hold up, hold up the book one more time, Tony. Put it on blast. 
put it on blast. Light skin gone to waste. Don't waste time. <laughs> get Tony Tony's book. I that, that sounds really great. That's cool. Yeah, excellent. Uh, congratulations too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what precipitated the the, the move to um, novelization? I was a writer for hire as a screenwriter from 1994 through 2002 or three. So rather than being able to just write my own work, I was always executing other people's ideas and and writing movies um, for other people. So Mm. I was constantly getting notes and being told what to do. And after a while, I just got burnt out and I felt like I wasn't really writing in my own voice anymore. I was writing to satisfy a producer or studio head. And and I was always writing about race and class. And almost invariably, my bosses were not people of color. And so I felt a lot of responsibility to get things right and to not be disrespectful to my community. And it Mm -hmm. was it just became too much because they didn't care. Right. <laughs> and, right. Um, it, you know, there were some times when that wasn't the case. Like fortunately when I did Ruby bridges, that was with Uzan Palsy, the director. And one of our executives was an African-American woman, a brilliant woman named Leah Keith. And they were on board with what I wanted to do. Um, but almost invariably people weren't. And so if you're working for somebody who's trying to make a project and they don't really recognize the full humanity of the people of color and they're telling you to have them do things or say things, getting truthful experiences. Like for example, one of the white producers had a hard time understanding that in New Orleans, there were well-to-do black people who lived in big houses and, you know, had fabulous lives in a way. They weren't, they weren't all poor. And Mm -hmm, I had mm -hmm. written a scene that took place in, um, in a well-to-do community, the home of a black doctor. And we couldn't do it because, um, because there was, I, there was only one scene there. And so it just, it just wouldn't work, but it was, upsetting to me because New Orleans in particular um, had those dynamics, had upper middle class and middle class black families. And because we were showing a family that was from the lower socioeconomic class and there was a character who was a doctor and who was upper middle class, um, I really wanted the the audience to see how these people lived, um, that there was a strata of class and um, that was difficult. Um, but it was, the, I still was very happy with how that movie turned out of, of all the films that I had made. That was my favorite. <laughs> so, but that's why I went back into my own work. I had been a playwright before and I, um, I wanted to write my own stories. I just, I just didn't, I got tired of people telling me what to do. So let's talk about Ruby Bridges. How did that come about? You getting involved with that production? That sounds like a dream project. You working with you saying policy. policy. Um, it was. Um, so I was on the project long before Uzan came on board. Um, the reason I got 
the movie was because I had written a play called Gramercy Park is Closed to the Public, and that dealt with race and class. And it also dealt with a biracial woman who was then in an interracial relationship and two kids, an African-American kid and a mixed race kid. And they liked the voice in that script, in that play. Um, They liked how I was able to execute children and a kid's point of view and kids' voices. And so they felt like it would be a good fit. So I went in and I pitched and I and I got the job and I then they sent me um, on a research trip. And so I compiled all this stuff. I also did research on my own um, back. This was back in the 90s. So there was no research online. That's right. right. You did hardcore. Yeah, I was on microfiche and reading books. I read The Second Battle of New Orleans, which is about integration. And I read all these newspapers from the time, the um, New Orleans Times-Picayune and I gathered, I compiled all this stuff and then I went and I did interviews. So I went and met Robert Coles. I went and met Barbara Henry and I spent like two or three days with Ruby Bridges, which was amazing. Wow. Wow. Great. Um, And interviewed her. And then I compiled all the interviews. um, And I think I transcribed them myself, but I'm not sure. I might be lying about that. It was like 20 some years ago. So I mean, it was almost going on 30 years ago, actually. Um, So, yeah, I I don't remember, but I did do um, like a a lot of research and then started putting everything together to um, to to tell the story. But, um, yeah, it started with my play with with my own work. Um, And and the longer I worked as a screenwriter in the business, the farther and farther I got away from my own work. So that's why I'm I'm moving back into it. The shame of it is, is that that is a the idea of not being able to like be true to your voice um, Mm. in a work for in a work for hire is a frequent lament that you hear from writers, especially because like, okay, you, you recognize that you're a work for hire, but you did hire me. So you, you, you still want some aspect of me in what I'm doing here. I'm telling you, sometimes I would be in these meetings and I would tell them, I would give them my thoughts and my opinion. And I had people say, oh, black people wouldn't do that. Mm. And I was just like, okay, like, well, why, why did you hire me? Why, why am I here? If you don't, if you don't believe what I'm saying, or if you don't, believe my perspective what's the point so anyway i ended up having to write stuff that in the end sounded like the people i was working for wrote it it didn't sound like me right Um, ruby bridges did sound like me because uzan is wonderful and uzan was happy with with the voice i mean she made the script better she's really smart and she gave incredible notes and it was really hard to work for Uzan because she's a workaholic and she will, she will work you until you pass out. Really? So right. Like hours and hours. But I complained about it, but it was one of the best experiences that I had in my career was working with her. She, she's an artist. She's mm-hmm. not doing this like just for commerce. I mean, I know she needs to make a living too, but Uzan is really an artist. And she went through that script like, line by line obviously English isn't her first language mm-hmm. so, but she's like correcting my spelling and asking questions <laughs> on everything and it was like it was humbling um but she's she's a brilliant genius <laughs> and 
I was very, very fortunate and thrilled and happy to work with her. I'm not sure if I would do it again because she'd probably kill me because <laughs> she has unbelievable energy. She doesn't sleep and she don't, she wouldn't let me leave. So I would say, Uzan, like I've been here eight hours. I have to go home. I'm hungry. And she's like, sit, sit, I'll feed you. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't leave. <laughs> um, but she's great. She's really, she's really great and works really hard. Well, the sacrifices you make for great art. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to, to to join us tonight. We're going to hopefully have a a big fun tonight. Um, right, because you said something that I'm going to circle back around to when we get to the movie. Okay, what was right? that? Oh, I won't tell you. It's a surprise. Okay. okay. Uh -oh. <laughs> Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, inquiry minds want to know. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. We're going to be reviewing Aaron Loves Angela. This was a film that Tony selected for tonight's review yes. on the Michelle Mission. And I'm actually really interested in her viewpoints on the film. Yours too, Vince. You being a connoisseur of all these 70s movies. And I'm interested in yours. Interested in yours too. I I watched it now four times. And every time I watched it, I've had a slightly different experience. So the first time I watched it, I loved it. I was just thrilled to see Irene Cara. I thought mm. about myself as a kid, if I had had the opportunity to watch it, which I didn't. I okay. didn't see it until I was an adult, but I don't remember ever seeing anything like that when I was a kid, like to see kids who looked something like me on screen, um, mm -hmm. just the representation was, amazing and i i think i kind of ignored some of the black exploitation parts and i focused more on the romance and just i would i just love seeing irene cara i think that she was so beautiful and i would have been over the moon to see that if i had been like i'm she's not that much older than me but i was a you know a little bit younger and i was craving to see somebody that that I could want to be on the screen. I, I rarely saw anybody like me on the screen. And so I, I just was like, like girl crushing on her. Um, and I thought she was great. I, I went and looked at a lot of comments and, and, um, and crit, you know, what, what people said. And, and I saw people um, criticize her performance, but I thought her performance was, was better than a lot of the performances in the film. I thought she was lovely. You said you said you you didn't see it as a kid the first time you saw it as an adult. You you mm -hmm. mind telling us like how old were you? What year was that? What year was that when you saw it? It wasn't that long ago. It was before the pandemic. 
Okay. But okay. Maybe only a few years. And I saw it because, um, are you familiar with Janine Coveney? The name sounds familiar to me. He's yeah. a journalist. Um, we met in getting our master's degrees in fiction. She went into, no, maybe she might, she might be creative nonfiction, but she has a Facebook group um, that is dedicated to movies and she posted it on there and I had never seen it. And it was, I found it. I, I don't remember if I saw it on Amazon. That's where I've rewatched it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I don't remember where I saw it. It might've been on Amazon prime, but um but that was the first time I watched it. And then I remember just like chatting with other people about it in that chat, but I don't remember specifically what everybody said, but I know that I really enjoyed it. Um, and then when I watched it again, I watched it more from the point of view of just like the craft of filmmaking. And mm -hmm. I saw a lot of its flaws. I think it's a very uneven film. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that could have been better, but I still love the film. I'm still so glad that it's made and that it was made. And I loved being in the seventies, just the nostalgia. I, one of the things I appreciated so much about it was how obvious it was that the director just loved these young people of color and he chose to shoot them in such a way that was warm and celebrated their humanity. And we get to see them just be kids. We got to see them play on the carousel. We get to see them play Frisbee in the park. And there's a lot of things that I, a lot of movies that I've watched over the years that have people of color in it when they're, and when it's not made by people of color, sometimes I feel like the filmmakers don't really get the full humanity mm -hmm. of people of color. And I mm -hmm. felt like Gordon Parks Jr. loves, loved his people. And I appreciated that. I, but, but then there are scenes later where I felt like, Oh my God, why am I, where am I watching this black man being beat bloody? Like when, when um, <laughs> the friend Willie is attacked at the end I was like really is this necessary it just that felt gratuitous to me and the scene where Duke has to run for his life and I just okay oh okay okay we're gonna we, you're gonna jump into the review let's 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 let's, let's, let's as back. you can see Tony is passionate it was pain, that was about this. for me to watch and and I so for me it felt like two different films in a way mm. like two different approaches and there are absolutely two threads there's the black exploitation thread and the pimp and the you know the drug deal stuff and then there's the romance so there are two different threads but i if i mean i don't want to criticize the film because i admire the film i admire gordon parks jr i went back and, and rewatched superfly which i thought was was more well-made than Aaron Loves Angela. I thought Superfly was great. Um, but I I wish that there had been a, a little bit more um, balance and so that it wasn't so uneven. Like some scenes were done with such care, I felt, and some scenes um, were a little clunk, not a little, there, some scenes were clunky. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. You know, just not that well done. Um, right. But I would never say that, oh, they, you know, this was a waste or we shouldn't make this film. I've seen comments like that and I don't agree with that. I, I think it's, there's a lot of beauty in the film. Um, and we're going to, 
and, and we're going to talk all about it when we get into the review. But first, okay. first we're gonna we, we're gonna take care of a little well, bit I've of this. Been giving my reviews. So. Okay. No, I know, I know, I know, which is cool. I love it. I love it. Uh, but we, but we we you know Vince is a, is a stickler for structure, so we're going oh, okay. to stick to the structure and the format <laughs> of the show a little bit. Um, That's what people say. They say I'm so organized. Yes, and structured. Okay. Uh, but speaking of Aaron, and speaking of Aaron's, we have a uh, frequent and longtime fan of the show, Aaron Fry, in the chat saying, wait a minute, there's a Norman Rockwell poster of Ruby Bridges over her right shoulder. Good placement. Oh, well, this is how this is my office. And I wrote that movie. So that's why it's there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's but- right. I'm not I'm not trying to promote this movie because that was like 1998 so <laughs> but, <laughs> like, you know yes yeah, so I, I and Ruby Bridges actually signed it. Wow. Cool. Now yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. See so nobody else has that. Um <laughs> and Damon Williams, hey, it's my brother. Your your brother. <laughs> Finally, someone else who sees the greatness in Superfly <laughs> take that I love- lens. I- I love Superfly. And Tony, everyone loves Superfly except for him. It's okay. If I you don't? Who doesn't? Okay. I, I, I thought Ron O'Neill was really good in the movie. Um, <laughs> Tony, we all thought Ron O'Neill was really good in Superfly. Look, I love this. I think it's one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. I just am not 100% a fan of the film i I, okay i mean i could see that if is it just because of the black exploitation element or did you just think it was bad irrespective of the genre well well i have to question whether or not it is a better made film than aaron loves angela from that's interesting (laughs) Aaron loves Angela had scenes that just made Lord blocking that made no sense. Well, that's true. There's there's a lot of, but I think see okay, all right. Well, we're here. Here but we are. I, I could be wrong because I only went back and rewatched Superfly one time, and the first time I saw it, I don't even remember when that was. Yeah, so I could be wrong. Um, I I watched it in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to at least see um, some of Gordon Parks Jr.'s other work. work. When you, right, when of you course. Talk to me about this, I didn't know the difference between Gordon Parks and Gordon Parks Jr. And I and I watched something, and I was like, Gordon Parks did this, <laughs> <laughs> and I was horrified. And I was like, Oh no! And then I realized, Oh, okay, that's his son. And so then I, you know, went down the rabbit hole of research and, and really, and I tried to watch three the hard way. I couldn't get through it. Well, <laughs> but I, but I enjoyed Superfly. I think I thought Ron O'Neill was fine. <laughs> I mean, he, yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you saying fine as an actor, or you thought he was fine? I thought With, he was fine. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, that's fair, though. I, I think I think we've talked about this. Ninety percent of the appeal of many of these black exploitation films is the personality. Yes. In the, the presence yeah. in the middle of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, and. Him, Ron O'Neill's version of a pimp, and Robert Hook's version of a pimp, because <laughs> Ron O'Neill was a better pimp. 
Ron O'Neill was a better, well, not pimp, but whatever he was. <laughs> well, I think Robert Hook's pimp was trying to diversify. Yeah. So yeah. he was a pimp. He was a drug dealer. He was a strangely, strangely like abusive a, in a bully at the restaurant. Yeah. About Moses Gunn's career. But strangely a bit of a, of a, of a vigilante. He was, he's a vigilante. <laughs> yeah. He's beating up Puerto Rican roughs. Tuxton. I didn't think that was the, a good part for Robert Hooks. I I've been aware of Robert Hooks like for years and years. He's a he was in the theater. I worked mm. at the at the Negro Ensemble Company, and I know he was one of the founders. I have the utmost respect for Robert Hooks, but I don't think he was right for that role. And I don't think I I just I just didn't believe him. I felt like he put on this costume and he was just playing a pimp. But it also felt like. He might have his attention might have been scattered because his son was in the movie and he might have felt other responsibilities mm-hmm. in addition to his role. And I just don't I didn't feel like he did anything interesting with the role. Like he was just kind of one note and he said the lines fine. I mean, it was adequate, but it wasn't. He's an artist. And I didn't feel like he brought his artistry to that part. Right. Um, I, actually, I actually didn't get the sense that the script knew what they wanted his character to be. But then you know, the actor I, has to make a choice and right. have something with, going on underneath what's on the page, have something going on underneath the text, something interesting, something that makes us lean in and say, oh, what's up? You know, what's going on there? What's with that? And there was none. It was kind of. It just was what it was. He did. I just felt like he, he didn't bring any more to it. Whereas Moses Gunn. Oh wow! Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I mean well, he, he's a virtuoso. He was incredible. Yeah. Well, well, with all due respect to Robert Hooks, he's no Moses Gunn. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a he's way. a good actor. I mean, he's a he's, no. a, he's a, a like a, a serious actor who's no. an artist who's been doing it since he was a kid and he's a better actor than he was in that movie in this, and I don't yeah. I wish like I could hear interviews or something to know what was going on with him like was he trying to help Gordon Parks was he was it just felt like he wasn't fully in it he was well, playing it but he wasn't he, he hadn't settled into a choice for the character it was it was kind of one note and it was like the costume and the carriage, but I didn't feel any depth. Yeah. The, the character. To, to, to Vincent's point and a little bit to yours, as far as the script, not knowing what it wanted him to be and him therefore not making the choice. I thought that, and this also may run to juxtaposition because he is acting against his son, Kevin hooks in the lead, in the lead role mm-hmm. in that his, his role is like you said, Vince. He's he's a drug dealer, and he's maybe a pimp. You don't one hundred percent know because it's not like he has a stable of women, right? You, you're that only we know really, of. right that we right, know we, of. right. We don't see them. We're only really seeing we see Cleo, the, Cleo, the one right. woman who he seems to have. Yeah, there definitely is a transactional relationship between them, but there also seems to be a, a bit of a romantic relationship between them as well. So 
it, and kind it, of the same idea in Superfly. Like I'm going to make all this money, and then we're going to get, you know, we're going to get out, and we're going to leave. Or yeah, travel. right. It's the same story, kind of. It, it was. It's definitely the same story, and the, the the difference here with Robert Hooks is he's not the lead. He's he. It's not right. all about him. Right. Um, and then also, you know. How much do you lean on being like you know this cold stone pimp in this in this movie that you're acting against your son? Um, do you also still try to you know you know uh, uh, skate the uh, skirt the line between like I don't want to be a pimp, but I still want to be a, like a good guy because I come to my son's rescue as well, right? right. You know, mm-hmm. so I I agree that he definitely should have could have made a choice. But I, I also want to argue maybe a little bit on his side that maybe he did make a choice and yet the script doesn't know which way he want, wants yeah. to go. Well, no, no. I, I think it's the director. I, I think that a strong, that it, I don't think that, I think Gordon Parks was a, is a decent director, but not that great with actors. I think yes. Yes. there it is. He was lucky to work with Moses Gunn because <laughs> Moses Gunn was not going to be bad and, you know, no matter right. what. Right. Um, but I, but there were other actors who were horrible, and that, and he, he could have made those performances a little smoother. He could, if he knew how. He might. Yeah. You know, I think he's he came from a photography background. He was really good with, you know, setting up the shots. He he picked amazing locations. Yes. Yes. He, you know, looked looked pretty good, but but I don't think he had the skill or knowledge to like really get in there. With a with an actor and say, okay, you know what what are you thinking here? What if we tried this? Like I, I don't think he knew, knew how to do that. And I think when this and the scenes where the acting was really good, I I I am going to guess that that was because those were really good actors, not because they were so well directed. Yeah. And there was there was one part in the in the masterful scene with Moses Gunn where he was drunk. And there was such, there was a moment missed that I longed for, and it was he's he's railing at his son and he's he's yelling at him and, and saying hurtful things and then he turns away and he never looks back at Aaron. No, to mm-hmm. see Aaron's reaction, and I felt like that reaction could have motivated the next beat, which was mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, and I was like. I felt cheated. I felt like yes, that yeah. could have been a brilliant beat between two good actors. Yes. And it was yeah. missed because it was poorly blocked. It, because it was poorly blocked, um, again, which is has been a constant or, or a consistent critique of Gordon Parks when we've okay. covered his work. Junior. Junior. Gordon Junior. Parks Jr. Okay. Um, and it's it's also something that a stronger a stronger director in if you do have the opportunity to look at dailies which to be fair this type of filmmaking back in this time they didn't always have that that time mm-hmm. to yeah. do these type of things it felt like it might have been really like you know few takes and rough yeah, it, it exactly felt like it was there was pressure right it was indian not a lot of money it, so that's I felt like Superfly seemed like they had more money and more time to get things right, but I know you disagree. But right, that's, yeah. that's what it looked like to me. But that's fine. That's fine. Well, I, I think to your point about Superfly, and then we'll talk about the movie we're here for. I think the Curtis Mayfield puts this sheen, yeah, over it uh-huh. that you that that you kind of grant it. 
Mm-hmm. Be- because of, of just everything that does. With this, I, I think... You don't think Jose Feliciano does the same for... I love... Or, I love Jose Feliciano. Amazing. I loved it. As soon as the soundtrack started, I was da- I was standing up watching the movie and I was dancing. Jose Feliciano is like a god. He's, yes, he is. He's just amazing. It was so, so great to see him. And I, and I felt like he did give the film, maybe not what Curtis Mayfield did, but he gave it his own thing and it was lovely. He does, definitely gives well, it a, a taste of authenticity. And it stands out mm-hmm. from other films yes. where, you know, it's like yeah. they kind of live in the base, in the bottom, mm-hmm. yeah. where everybody is out funking each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is, it's a whole, di- yeah. like it's a whole different flavor. He, but has, such, he has his own thing and it, and it brings back to why, you know, the first time I would have heard him would have been in the 70s when I was a kid. And it just brings me back there. There's something like interesting, but also earnest and just it, it, it's nostalgia, I guess. I just love hearing his voice. And I used to, he used to be on, on variety shows when I was a yeah. kid. Oh, I yeah. Oh, yeah. see him when I was a kid. So I just, just love seeing him and see him young too. Like, so when right. I was watching him, I thought he was a you know an, not an old man but a grown man, and now in this movie he's younger than me. So that's kind of weird seeing that too. Yeah, go ahead. Vince. No, I I think it comes back to what we've been saying. Gordon Parks Jr. is a photographer, mm-hmm. and I think the parts of this film where that eye can express itself are the stronger parts, whether it's, it's those wonderful montages with Mm -hmm. the music. And, you know, you talked about when they're in, when when they break into the amusement park or, Mm. you know, on Coney Island or, or they're running around with the, the Frisbee, the the Frisbee and, and there is a warmth and there is this, this wonderful sense of capturing their full humanity and their youth. It's something you said about, how you wrote for voice you wrote for children's voices like you captured a child's voice Mm -hmm. and i thought maybe that's what drew you to this because i love the kids i I love the the youth of these kids and and irene Kara and kevin hooks you just want to look at them like you you just want to look at them and, (laughs) and and see them talk to each other and and I don't think either one of them is necessarily the strongest actor, the way we judge acting. Right. They were children, though. Like they but were, they're children. They were starting right? out their careers. Right. Um, but, but I saw people say really unkind things about Irene Cara's performance, and I don't agree with that. I, think, I didn't think she was terrible. I thought she was lovely. She right. Was, I, I enjoyed watching her um i didn't feel like like i thought she was better than some of the like henchmen guys and like, oh well, well, please. i mean she was <laughs> she was good she was good enough for me for my like teen you know i'm thinking like i'm watching the movie almost like with the heart of a teenager or the, mm-hmm. like, a preteen even mm-hmm. and i'm like wow like it's just amazing to see her she's gorgeous she's like flawlessly spectacularly beautiful on screen the camera loves her and I appreciate, I appreciate that. I appreciate being able to look at her. And, um, and I appreciated looking at Kevin Hooks too. He, he had his moments, like he had, he was stronger in some scenes than others. And mm-hmm. he felt a little hesitant, tentative, mm-hmm. you know, in his, in what he was doing, but 
when they were just on screen together and they and he was you know trying to be sweet to her it it was really nice and it was it was something i just i wish i had had more opportunity to see when i was younger because i i just didn't have that there was, that representation wasn't there and i, I liked aaron and willie like i liked them just sort of goofing around yeah like they really were like two dumb teenage boys well, they were definitely. They definitely. were fun. Yeah. I did not like when when Willie said, "Did she fight?" <laughs> like that took me well, out. I was like, "Wait, well. <laughs> did she fight?" Like, are you asking? Did he rape her? Like that was just that line. I wish they had cut that. I I do too. That well, there definitely are some lines that you know. You're like, ooh, they're a little icky. What's happening here? Sounds a little um, rapey at parts. Yeah, most of, well, well, yeah. The 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 whole taking them back into this this dungeon of an apartment. Look, and how old are these children exactly? Well, that's the other. There's that. Seventeen, I think. Seven. 17 at most, right? I'm figuring 17 because he, he, like Aaron is on the cusp of going to college. Right, but I think they actually say in the script that Angela is 15. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, well, actually they say 14, 15. I don't know if they ever land. Oh, I thought Harriet was 14. Henrietta. Henrietta, uh, Henrietta, Henrietta, Henrietta was you're right. Henrietta yeah. was 14. You're right. Yeah, they did say 15. They did um, say 15. Yeah, that's, but that is the age that I, girls I knew you know, lost their virginity at 15, so. And it was wild in 1975. I guess. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have any wildness in my life in, in 1975. Uh, but the other thing is, I do have family from the Bronx and from Harlem, and I don't remember there being so much hostility between Puerto Ricans and Black people. Like, sometimes we, couldn't we couldn't tell the difference between who was who. Like, because some people had a Black dad and a Puerto Rican mom, or the or the opposite. And like, I'm not Puerto Rican, but people thought I was Puerto Rican. So mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. my first boyfriend was Puerto Rican, and. He didn't have a problem with it. His parents didn't have a problem with it. His auntie did. His titi did. But as soon as I just tried to speak a little Spanish, she was cool. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't so dramatic that I experienced. Maybe, maybe it was, but also my grandfather has Puerto Rican children. Um, so, and it was just much in Harlem, in the Harlem that I know, it was more of an easy mixture. Everybody hung out together um, in my experience. Now, there might have been neighborhoods where it was that dramatic and Puerto right. Ricans and Black people hated each other, but I never saw that. Well, I'm certain that, you know, if you did like a whole census of people that were around at that time, you're going to find some who, you know, like the scale is going to like go left or right, depending on who you speak with, right? So- yeah. And it's not, I'm fine if uh, Gordon Parks Jr. decides to kind of like play it up or maybe a little yeah, bit more for the too. film. I'm just saying that it just, it didn't ring true to me, but maybe it is. But I just have so many friends who are Puerto Rican and Black from Harlem and the Bronx and everybody was together. And like, the black people in my family look Puerto Rican. And, yeah, yeah. You know, like we, it was very hard to tell who was who. Right. Every the, in my experience, um, we hung out together, and it was okay. And my my boy, like I was confused by my boyfriend. We started dating at, at seventeen. He was 
Puerto Rican, but he looked black. And I would say, you're black. And he's like, no, I'm Puerto Rican. And I'm like, okay, but you're a black Puerto Rican. But he's like, no, right. I'm Puerto Rican. Like, so he, he was very clear that he was not an African-American. Um, we didn't use that term then, but he was clear that he was not that. But but they are black. Like, it, black yeah. people went to Puerto Rico. So I don't, right, I don't right. know. I, to me, it's as confusing as, like, the Scottish and the English or the Scottish and the Irish. Hey, Scottish and Irish, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, the Catholics and the Protestants, like, they all look the right. same to me. So I, it's right. just, it's confusing to me, but... I think I think the other problem is that I don't think the film, and again, this is probably a, a, a fault of the script and Gordon Parks Jr.'s di- direction. I don't think the film really distinguishes what is the issue yeah. outside right. of outs- because it honestly could have just simply have been just kids being kids, yeah. but uh, but I don't think it hits it on the head with that because when Aaron walks Angela home, it's not kids that chase him it's the adults that right. chase him so yeah. now you you really don't know what what is happening and they seem to just be chasing him because he's on the street he didn't do anything he, right. he well, they walked- saw him with with her though he walked her home so there he didn't do anything but they but they saw him you're right they saw him but but the thing is because they're adults you would you're wondering okay then what's their beef? Kids being kids is kids being kids for whatever. The well, adults- not, like I just rewatched it, and one of the lines is, "We don't want we don't want you messing with our women." Right. Oh, that when they're beating them right. up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but the film doesn't spend a lot of. It's almost like the film doesn't want to deal with it that much. Right. Right. You know, you get a little bit with the bit with her mother where where she says that he's um her boyfriend's name. Right. That that apparently is acceptable. That's the other thing I didn't like. Real, sorry to cu- cut you off. The other thing that I didn't like is that outside of the boys at the playground, it earlier in the film that mm-hmm. that walk with Angela and then later get into like a little bit of a skirmish, um, and her girlfriend who is there but you don't really hear from. No, you, but when you do, she's. She pops on screen like she's really she's True. really good. I thought like she, she, she is. You don't hear her enough, but you don't hear her, you don't hear her enough. But you're right when she does say something, she she, she does. Yeah. But I didn't like that Angela's family, especially her mom. It's just a disembodied voice in the, yeah. In the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't I didn't like that. And and for the, and for those who had a problem with. Irene Cara's performance. I didn't have a problem necessarily with Irene Cara's performance. What I had a problem with was Angela's choices in the movie. I didn't think I didn't think that Angela made smart choices and to me that is indicative of a film that doesn't 100% seem like it's interested in telling a balanced story of the two names in the title Aaron and Angela it seems it is 100% it's like 70 maybe even 80% Aaron's story yeah Angela is just the fulcrum indicative of the you know the sexism and patriarchy of the time like it wasn't it, it wasn't about what Angela wanted it was like Aaron was kind of driving the story and Angela gives in very easily. Like she has that scene 
and she she runs away but then the next minute like she's back and she's like you know she's offered like she's afraid not to and that was that was a little bit sad but I went with it I didn't and I didn't get like caught up in it but I was thinking man if a woman had written this I think it would have been a little bit different well just to that scene the part like I didn't no, I didn't like her like immediately showing back up right. the next day. I I, right. I did not like that. You should have had to work a little harder. Right. Right, right. But 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 again, speaking to poor poor blocking and direction, right. the other part about that scene I didn't like is that she appears in the door. Yeah. You see her like lean into the door. And she's not like just creaking open the door. She is standing in the door. She is in the room. And then it cuts back to Aaron and Willie and Aaron and Willie are still engaged in their conversation, talking about probably bringing another woman, another girl Mm -hmm. to the room uh-huh. And is only out loud. They're not whispering. No. And it is at that point that Willie sees her and she then gives in to Aaron. So the film, the, the film shows that like, there's no way she didn't hear that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and yet she still that. makes that decision. And that's why I was like, yo, that's not. That's, this- I mean, you're, I, to your credit, you're a male who doesn't have a problem with that, but it feels like a, a generational male thing where they can't really conceive of the, of, of the woman's inner thoughts and motivations. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, this has to work for the film. You know, we need Angela to show up here. So let's just put her there. And that, that sort of happens a few times. Like, so in that one scene, when she comes and she she leaves and she's mad, why on earth does she run up to the roof? I was, why doesn't she I was, leave? I was wondering, <laughs> why are you running upstairs? Exactly. Yeah. I was like, and I, it's because they wanted that location. Yes. Right, on right. the roof. <laughs> does it look good? But it made no sense. Like, I'm like, what the hell is she doing? She runs up there and she's like looking off the roof. Like, <laughs> you're going to, like, I was like. <laughs> that, that's very true. That's very, it is almost as if we've rented the roof. Right. We've right. got the lights. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I, thinking, I was like, this is a location choice because it makes no sense from a character point of view. She's upset and she wants to get away. You would run out of the building. Right. Yes. It, the, the way you came. Yes. yes. The, the down the. Scared. She didn't know what was up there. She was scared exactly. to enter the building. Yes. And so why is she going to run up somewhere where she doesn't know what's up there? That made no sense. So yeah, that that well, was well, that's part of what I felt. You know, the the clunkiness and the unevenness of the there's choices like that um, really made me a little bit crazy. But I still. I still have affection for this film, like despite its flaws. Um, sure, I'm glad that it was made. I just have like a, a tenderness for it because of, <laughs> because of those kids. And and I just wanted to make sure to underline this Parks as a photographer mm-hmm. with a photographer's eye. I love depictions of pre gentrified New York. Yeah, that yeah, especially Harlem. New York as beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I loved Harlem. I loved the park. I, I loved Coney Island. Like, I just loved how real it felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's a testament to his eye. 
Yeah. And I yeah. felt that the, the, the kids going to the um, Museum of Modern Art was really something, too. And that felt very much, I don't know, but it felt like, like something the director would have wanted because he had an arts background. He was right. educated and he was sophisticated in, in art and photography. And, and I really, I appreciated that scene. I appreciated, like, seeing the kids just, like, look at, at artwork and, and think about it and her trying to... In, introduce him, expose him to work that she'd been exposed to. Um, that too, to me, spoke to their humanity. That these, you know, this girl had an intellect. She had aspirations. She had, you know, things that she wanted to do with her life. And she, she was, she was willing to think. It wasn't like all she wanted to do was give herself to Aaron. She did want to express her herself and live her life in a way that was fulfilling to her. Um, so I appreciated that. Yeah, she she had everything. She just didn't have a sense of direction. But right. that's oh, that's what we've we yeah. figured out, figured out. You, you know, I almost wonder because the the, the whole the the whole Robert Hooks plot with the with the drugs and which and made no sense. It makes no sense, and it's it's way underbaked. Oh. And I almost wonder if in in nineteen seventy five, as we're coming to the end of the black exploitation period, I wonder if he almost had to have this aspect in the film. Oh, he does. Probably like, financed, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. like you gotta have a pimp, you gotta have something with some action. Yeah, because it's it's nineteen seventy five, like you said, it's coming towards the end of the black exploitation era, but the black exploitation era is still very much mm-hmm. in, in vogue just by virtue of the films that we've covered already in seventy right. five. Right. So um yeah, I, I can definitely see that he's gotta have it in there. Mm-hmm. Um and coming from the like having worked in the film business, that's absolutely true. Like there were, you know, there are marketing things that that have to be in place in order for you to get the money um, for a film, and and also like if there's a perspective um, that's coming from, you know, how do, how are we going to sell this? How are we going to make the most money? White people in power aren't typically, you know, going to allow like just a love story, just a you know sweet story about like these sweet kids, like they would insist that there be this other element that we can market, that we can sell, um, thinking that that's all the community wants. Um, I'm sad to say, but that's my experience. Um, it's like, ur- you know, make it urban. And if it right. is urban, they're already in the city, but it, it would have been too soft for some places. Although this yeah. is a, a, an indie film, right? Yeah, indie. yeah. It, but even it, so, like whoever gave, whoever put up the money, um, yeah, because it, well, it's not really. It's distributed by Columbia, so okay. so it it is not an uh, independent pro- production okay. per se, but it definitely is of the lower budget. All right. right. Well, if it's Columbia, then that's you know, if that's a studio picture, then you know they want to make their money back, and so mm-hmm. absolutely, they don't, they don't probably. You know, it had to fit into a box of like this, right. this is where it goes, and so they they had to have that element, which I, I I'm okay with that. I I I forgave that part of it because I know that you know you kind of have to do what you have to do just to get your work done, and so if they require a pimp, you know, you give them a pimp. Like if <laughs> if you're trying to make a film, you're trying to get the money. Um, 
No, I, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the The problem is, it's like to Vince's point, the, sto- the story makes absolutely no sense. Like there's like, he, he, he's, he's, he, first of all, five keys of cocaine is, is what he's promising people. Mm-hmm. And he's coming up with these bags which, which, like, I can hear how empty they are when they pick, picking them up. Right. <laughs> like, what? What are we doing it here? Like flower. It was like flower or something. Yeah. And I said, "Who do you think I am, Betty Crocker?" <laughs> um, and what's yeah. the next step after you kill the two presumably mafia members? Right, and presumably, presumably, just like the the low totem pole guys. Right. You know. So, like, what 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 are we thinking here? And I thought he was gonna. I thought his what he wanted to do was then get out. Like he would have his money and he and, and then just to, like, vanish. Yeah, he wanted to. He wanted to get out of the U.S. That, that's which, which is true. Which is true. But then when you get the money, you don't. Jen don't tiptoe out the joint because then he he like he's tucking in his shirt after he's walking out. That's why dude caught him with two in the back. Because he, he he's busy, like, you know, like, easing on down the road. Also, I thought they frisked him. No, no, yes, they did frisk him, but he had the gun there. Because when you see them looking at the um the keys or the, the, the... No, no, I thought he frisked the two mobsters. He did outside. So then when the mobster pulls the gun out in the room, I said, was that a secret gun? Oh, that's right, because he threw away the gun. Right. And and he, I thought he patted down, and I know I'm going into the weeds now, but I thought they patted down both of them. Yeah, see, no, they patted him down, but his gun was hidden in the room. No, I know, I know Robert right, Hooks' right. gun. I'm talking about, but, but you're right. I shot Robert Hooks. Right. Where did he get his gun from? Because I thought they took the guns from the mobsters. Did did Robert Hooks, after shooting them, drop his drop gun? Drop the gun. And then maybe he'd pick it up? Because you know, I have to watch, I have to roll it back and watch that scene again. Um, but I, I think maybe that was a liberty they took just because they had to shoot him because he had to die. <laughs> right. <laughs> and give the money to Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> and then Aaron's walking around with the it's money. Right. I know. Like that's that was one of my. I was watching that. I was like, why would you go outside carrying a brief? You look like. those weird kids in high school that had briefcases no you never had a weird kid in high school with a briefcase I do, but but if i stole that money from drug dealers and they knew it was in a briefcase and everybody else knew it was his dad knew it was in a i was about to say it's in the script everyone is looking for the briefcase yeah they're not even looking for the money they're looking for the briefcase in a different bag like make it look like a gym bag like you're going to play basketball or something you know yeah yeah there were a lot there were there were a lot of mistakes and and flaws um but i can't i can't be too harsh on it because i really (laughs) i just just have a soft spot for it it's just like a love the love story i never got to see as a kid (laughs) okay i know i mean i know i i i recognize the the filmmaking flaws certainly um Tony, it's it's we we call it the Jaws principle. I won't tell you the whole story, but the Jaws ends in a way that it shouldn't end, 
and Steven Spielberg had some experts in for the the test viewing and he was concerned that they would call him on that mm-hmm. but they were so happy with the movie that mm-hmm. they ignored it mm-hmm. so it's the jaws principle no. if you if you like yeah. something you don't think about the fact that oxygen tanks don't explode like that yeah i mean i i did have one viewing where i was just like everything was annoying to me like i was just like why would they do that like so when she's on the carousel and they're riding and she says, I'll race you. And I'm like, why? And it was because he wanted them to move off the carousel. But it was like, you want to race? Not like, I, I just, there was just so many things that just ruined like what, you know, was kind of going along well. Um, so that, that was unfortunate, but I, I do like, I, if I had kids, which I don't, but if I had kids, like I would want them to see it because I would want them to see like New York from that time, I would want yeah, to absolutely young actors. So that I do feel like as you know, it has its place in film history. Is it a, an excellent movie? No, I don't think it's an excellent movie. But does it have some value? Absolutely, in my opinion, it does have some value. It has it has some problems, but it, but I also appreciate Gordon Parks Jr. as an artist, and I wish if he hadn't died, that he might have gotten better and better because he was good with you know, setting up shots and with the photography, like the stills, there was a still sequence. I'm not sure if it was three, the hard way or Superfly, but he was like really into the, into the photography. Do you, do you remember the sequence I'm talking about? Yeah, that's in Superfly. And I think that is again, back to Gordon. I mean, to uh, Curtis Mayfield, I think it's um, Pusher Man is being played okay. as it stills okay. of priest. Well, so I, being I a drug dealer. He- interesting as an artist and somebody that if he had if he had lived like I would have followed his career I mean I think a lot of filmmakers start off not that great and and but mm-hmm. they can get better and I, I think he's one who would have gotten better I think he ma- he was mastering some things and he needed to learn how to really work with actors and how to really block his his scenes better and also to maybe just be a little harder on the script and like mm-hmm. make sure that the script was ready and, and finessed before it came out. But, you know, there's so many facets to making a good film. And I think that as an artist, I, I, I think he would have continued and, and, you know, done better work. And so I, I think it's sad that he didn't get to make more films. Um, I invite you to check out um, a film that preceded, uh, okay. Aaron loves Angela. That is Thomasine and Bushrod. That's the one I didn't see. I, I didn't like Three the Hard Way. I just did not like that at, at all. I couldn't get into that. Um, Neither but, did I. Okay. I didn't but, even finish it, so I, I don't know. I like Three the Hard Way. I like Jim Brown, I love Jim it. Kelly, and Fred Williamson saving us from racism in poison water supplies. Which one was the martial artist? Oh, that's Jim Kelly. I loved him, and I loved his scene where he beat up all the all the policemen. Like that was. Oh great. yeah. There were great things about it, but but the white characters were just like cartoon character, like stock, like just like the dastardly d- villain, you know, t- mustache twirling, and I just, I just felt like that was not. It, it just it cheapened the whole thing. It made it made it less fun for me, and I couldn't continue. I just assumed the Ku Klux Klan was poisoning the water supply all throughout the 70s trying to kill black people. <laughs> it's like that in, that, but I, in I quicksand. Heard, like, rather than seeing two 
white guys like in lab coats that are like, <laughs> not, you know, conspiring. I would have liked to have seen the Ku Klux Klan, like right, you know, right. like where right. they where it starts with them and then it gets to those guys. But those guys, those little mousy looking men <laughs> in lab coats that they just it just was that part was so silly and other parts like the the scene where jim kelly beats up everybody that i was like cheering i was like i love this movie this is so fun and then and then it went on and i was like oh yeah i can't do it (laughs) me neither uh sharon eldridge says in regards to aaron loves angela I only watched two four minute clips of the film, but the moment where Aaron writes, Aaron likes Angela very much was really sweet and tickled me. And based on that, I liked the film. LOL. That's fair. I, I yeah. liked that too. It was, it was, that was kind of a motif throughout. Like, yeah, yeah, this, goes, yeah. it progresses. That was very sweet. It was, I, there was part of me though, that didn't like when he finally writes, Aaron loves Angela. It, I didn't like that it was the way that it, it was, it was, it was weaponized. Sure. You know what I mean? In his defense, yeah. she was out with her 40 year old boyfriend. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> and how did they have, so they had to steal a porno magazine, but they could afford to go to that club and see Jose Feliciano. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, it was, that's the part where it was like, how old are these kids? <laughs> I was, uh, now- <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't know. Like, what did you think of the porn, the stealing the porno magazines? Well, I don't. Th- what did they steal the porno magazine? Yeah, or I, I thought they were just cool. agents of chaos. Uh, yeah, because no, they really because then everyone the ran out. No, Willie, I watched it four times. So, <laughs> so he's there. Aaron is there looking at a display, and Willie is on the other side. And Willie has the magazine, and then Aaron knocks over the display, and Willie runs out with the magazine, and then the magazine shows up again at Ike's restaurant and he's it's, got the magazine on the table. So oh, okay. stole the magazine and they created that character right. that chaos in order to steal the magazine. To get the magazine. I was watching those extras in that scene and they were kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, they were very weird and they were right. good. Like they right. were really weird and, and strange. Because I, th- I think they were real. I was about to say, we need some guys who look like they would hang out in a porno magazine <laughs> shop in 1975. I, yeah, I believe I believed those guys. <laughs> I, I think they went to a, a porno shop right, in 1975. Right, right. Just said, you guys stay here. Just stay there. Yeah. Don't mind us. I don't know what they I don't want to know what they paid them with. But that, that also was a little <laughs> bit off for me because Aaron seemed like he was basically trying to be a good kid. So he would, you know, he was going to basketball. He didn't I, I just wasn't sure why he why he would contribute to stealing i mean maybe i mean there's maybe it's just the age and it's it's, it's just yeah. the age that. it's just the age is it's you know it's your best friend right and they didn't take the cash register right yeah, yeah you they, do it because you can so you right. do it to see if you can i mean i stole stuff when i was a teenager so i know but it it just it felt like i it felt like it put a like it marred Aaron's character a little bit, but it, it was okay. It didn't it didn't ruin it for me. But I I felt like they were building a different type of character. Like he was basically a good kid, um, and there he would he just wasn't. Which that's okay. Yeah, but you know what? I kind of liked I liked that because he he still was a good kid. 
but he was still very much a kid. Mm-hmm. And but he also was a kid who was because of his age, because of the life that he was living, and also because of his father was having to reconcile with where he was going to be. I love the scene where he basically tells his dad that he's not going to be in the NBA. Like, it's not going to happen, dad, unless I, I, I'm five, what, eight. It's right. not, I it's, love that scene too. That one of the yeah. later, like this, that, this scene towards mm-hmm. the end, that was really moving. And it was that, that was one of the strongest scenes in my opinion, because both yeah. actors were, were at their best in. in yeah, they were locked scene. in. Moses, Moses Gunn was good all throughout, but, but it was a, it was a, that was more realized from a directorial standpoint than some of the earlier scenes. I felt like mm-hmm. that, that scene worked and, and that was heartbreaking. And Kevin Hooks was strong in that scene. He wasn't strong in every scene. He was, all, he was all over the place, but in that particular scene, I thought he was really good. And that particular scene also, the script worked like that. Yes, that, right. was a, that was a good moment. Like every, all the elements worked and that that's what's sad about this film is there's a lot of good elements and then there's times like when things don't work and it's exciting when all when everything does work um and it's it's a, it's a little disappointing when when things aren't that great but um but i still i i respect the director for for trying <laughs> yes most definitely uh sharon eldridge also mentions that robert hooks helping aaron when he got attacked was cool yes bowman to the rescue uh i truly think i should see no more of this film however <laughs> just so that i can keep liking it a little goes a long way there you go just watch those parts in a loop in the in the loop uh, to to that to that we asked the question that we always ask at this point uh tony would you recommend that people see aaron loves angela I would, but I know that that if I recommend this film to some friends, they'll be pissed off at me. But <laughs> I still would recommend. I still would recommend it because I I feel like it had. There's something of value to see New York at that time. Now there's a mm-hmm. lot of other films, John Cassavetes films. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. plenty of films in the '70s. But I like this one because there's black and brown people in it, and Jose Feliciano is in it, and. Oh yeah, we didn't really like go in on the soundtrack, but it the sound great. It, it was, is amazing. It. Yeah, I loved. I loved seeing him. I loved the opening song. You know, it was. I watched the movie three times. It wasn't until the fourth viewing that I realized the opening song is actually talking about them. Yes, it's yeah. bringing you into the world. But I think that was a little overconfident because <laughs> I'm a pretty close viewer. And if you really need the audience to focus and and pay attention and listen, that didn't work because I love the song so much, but I was just dancing. I wasn't really paying attention to the words. And then when I finally listened to the words, I was like, oh, this is like scene one almost. This mm-hmm. is like, like, mm-hmm. a, like a prologue to the, to the story. And maybe that's just me, but, I, but the music was so good. And I was just so into the sound that I didn't pay attention to what it was saying. And I I would wager to say that probably a lot of people didn't pay that close attention to what the actual words were saying because we didn't realize we had to. Right, right. Opening credits. And so we're thinking, oh, the, the movie hasn't really started yet. This is just the opening credits. They're in like the train yard and whatever they're doing. But 
but I feel like there's actually important information in the lyrics to that song. It's talking about the struggle between, you know, the, the two communities. Um, mm-hmm. I missed that three times. Well, I think I, 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 I did hear it a little bit. I don't think that the imagery that is it's over really helps sell that message it doesn't at 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 all even even though as evocative as it is i'm not knocking Mm -hmm. the image it is beautiful because you know the murals and stuff were yeah Yeah. for that reason so i would recommend the film for jose feliciano and for Mm -hmm. those you know the art and some of the photography and for moses gunn i just think moses gunn was brilliant i just loved him so yeah. What did you guys think of the Walt Frazier scene and, and what preceded <laughs> that scene? I thought it was really bizarre. <laughs> mm, the whole thing. The whole Walt Frazier and, and his car was there by the, 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 the curb and I want you to give my son some advice and the advice was work hard. And then Walt Frazier is 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 got the coat over him. That's the boy, that's classic Walt Frazier. I know, and then he gets in the car and drives away and it was fun to see him, but that's yeah. where a good director would have been helpful because his line read. I mean, maybe it would be hard and intimidating to direct Walt Frazier, but his line <laughs> right, read right, so right, terrible. Just yeah, so, yeah, so terrible. And well, you got to remember, it's, it's seventy five. Walt Frazier is definitely a big star. They're lucky to get him. It right, lo- he's lo- doing the masala. For all they know, he he may not have even known he was in a movie. He was like. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens with Walt Frazier comes just time. walks out, you know, like he's ready to sign an autograph. Oh, I'm in a move. Oh, yeah, work hard, kid. You know, Apparently, so Kevin Hooks is always showing up. With also, I think yeah. what what hurts that scene is like there's too many things going on, right? Because there is, first of all, his father and his own delusionment about his his relationship with Walt Frazier that mm-hmm. that he is coming you know, being slapped in the face with reality with, you know, that Angela in the background, (laughs) that Angela's in the background, distracting his son so that you don't know whether or not his son is also being smacked in the face with his father's relationship with Walt Frazier, even though you're led to believe that his son kind of saw this coming. Right. He sees it when the security guard doesn't want to let him in. He's he already gets that his dad, is kind of out there. Maybe he overplayed his hand just a wee bit here. Um, and then there's also just Walt Frazier, just, <laughs> you know, like, I, I can give y'all five minutes. That's what I can give y'all. And then I'm going to get, can, can, my, can my car be in a movie too? All right, thank you. And then. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was fun. It was fun to see him. But then when he did his line reading, I was like, wow. Like, that was just. That was terrible, but I did I did appreciate that scene, and I appreciated Moses Gunn because a lesser actor, you know, that could have just been a cliche, and I felt like Moses Gunn did some work on his mm-hmm. character and in that scene and in all the scenes, like where you felt the layers um, to that character, and and even in that scene, like he was, it was heartbreaking because nobody yeah. was recognizing, you know, he had once been somebody. <laughs> Right, and now right. he wasn't, and and it, you know he was. This was happening to him in front of his child, and there was just so much. So I I thought it was I I really appreciated that, and man, I was happy to see um, Moses Gunn because I haven't actually seen him in a lot of things, but 
but I think that he, his performance is really powerful. It's, it's like he probably couldn't give a bad performance. Right. <laughs> he's just really like just sublime. He's just amazing. The juxtaposition of all the different stories when you think about it, like you said, uh, uh, the father and his his lost dreams uh, <laughs> from the gridiron and trying to pass that on to Aaron. Aaron's just relationship with Angela, Angela's relationship with her disembodied mother. You know, um, all of all of that in New York in the 70s, it lends it, it lends a space. First of all, I would recommend that people see this film. Okay. Right. I don't know. I, I do think it's uneven. I don't like that Angela has zero to no agency in this film, despite Irene Cara's presence in it being a selling point. But um, so I'd recommend people see it, but I, I'd recommend it. You know how I, I often say that some films are like lost opportunities. Mm-hmm. I think this is a story in this exact same setting that is worth revisiting, but not as a film. I'd love to see this play out as a, as a series, maybe a limited series where you can really dig into all of the characters mm-hmm. there and really give them the full weight. Like you mentioned, Tony, her girlfriend, uh, I like just like the the first interplay where that she has with Willie, where she's not really yeah. feeling him, right. but you get the sense that somewhere along the line, he kind of wins her over a little. Well, she's bit. intrigued. She's intrigued, right? And and you're wondering. He's funny. He's funny, and he has skills. He can pick a lock, and right. So there's a little, there's a little bit of a depth to this right. guy. He knows how the power works. On so the you want to see, you want to see that maybe how that plays out a little bit. Yeah, I would. I I was going to bring up that I I would like to have seen Willie. And what he wanted in life, because mm-hmm. his purpose in the film was basically just to play off Aaron and to, you know, yeah. to make Aaron's scenes work. But we don't really know what does he want to do after school? What is him, his home situation? What is he a good student? Um, what you know, I didn't really like all I know about him is what Aaron, you know, his relationship to Aaron. I don't really know that much outside of that other than he's he has a more a better sense of humor than Aaron. Yes. Yeah. sense of humor is, is more evolved and he's he's funny but but I felt like that was a flaw in the script too is, is that if you have a character and like all they're doing is like asking you when are you gonna get it when are you gonna get it man like that was kind of yeah it gets a little bit <laughs> and he tough. was like he deserved better he deserved more than that I thought but I would love your idea I would watch that series yeah so watch that. You know, he, he deserves better also because I don't think that he he rats out Aaron. Well, he did not tell them Grant, Grant's tomb. And I, I, I don't think he does that. I think I think if anything, he tells them. He shouldn't he do that because he does do it in the film. OK, true. But uh, uh, he does do it. You don't in the think film. that rang true. I don't think that that yeah. rang true. I, I think that, that char- I, I think that, that character maybe said someplace else. Right. I was just not a beating. Yeah, I was surprised. Like, why wouldn't he? But they like, needed, at they needed everybody yeah. to get to Grant's tomb because they had to shoot those chasing scenes from Grant's tomb. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's why that's why he said Grant's tomb. That's, a you know. Yeah. That's on the script, I guess. But who knows? Like, I don't, I don't know what the develop process of this script was. Like, 
if Gordon Parks Jr. like was directing the writing of this script or if it was like a fully realized script and then George, um, then uh, Gordon Parks Jr. just got it afterwards. Like, I don't know. Right, like, yeah, we don't, I, I wasn't able to find out any history. Yeah. I just know that it's written by is Gerald, Gerald Stanford. Yeah. White? Do you know? That is a good I question. I couldn't find, because I was actually trying to find more information about Gerald Sanford. Of the Gerald Sanford, and, and I think that, that he was, um, but I'll have to, and that, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I thought that it didn't feel like um like an insulting script. Like it didn't, it didn't feel like a, a white person no. insulted black people. Um, I thought, like, I believed that person of color who wrote it. And then when I, I was trying to research that writer and I could find was pictures of somebody white. Yeah. Cause so the only, I think, Gerald, I think I, see, I don't know whether or not he's the same person. Cause there's a, a Gerald Sanford that wrote for like Star That's Trek and, and for Knight yeah. Rider. Yeah. He is white. Okay. okay. Because it actually, because when you think about it, it does kind of play like I could see, I could see this being from a white perspective and then Gordon kind of juicing it up to make it feel a little bit bit more truer to the Mm -hmm. black experience. Um, Because one, I can see where the script thinks is an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, it doesn't certainly doesn't land as a adaptation right. of Romeo and Juliet. No. Vincent, we haven't gotten to you. Would you recommend that people see Aaron Love's I would. I would for me and the reasons everyone has said. I think the depiction of the 70s New York is valuable. I think Kevin Hooks, I'm I'm just a fan of Kevin Hooks. Mm. And and I think you can see that raw talent here. I, I think he has a lot of charisma. Like, I think you're drawn to him. I think Irene Cara, it's it's nice if you kind of jump from this to sparkle, to fame, mm-hmm. you can see her kind of advance as an actor. Mm-hmm. And and I like, you know, I like them. I like them in this. It It does have its flaws. It absolutely has its flaws, but... I think there's more to like than not. So I would recommend it. I agree. Yeah. Well, that's three for three. Three for three recommending that you see Angela. Aaron loves Angela, ladies and gentlemen. And let's maybe start a writing campaign to get this uh, made into a series. Yeah, I would would like that. I would love to see that. But the thing is, like, that that burnt out New York doesn't really exist anymore, I think. (laughs) They'd have to use a green screen. Okay. Well, that that can work. Yeah, that's true. We we, we can. They'll find ways. They'll find ways. I know. I mean, they did. They've done other stuff that's supposed to be New York from another time, and and they made that work. Very true. They they can build it. (laughs) They can build it. Very true. All right. Before we get out of here, Tony, prepare to be amazed, because we the missionaries will not let us leave this this live stream without giving them what they came here for Vincent that's the key what you would be surprised what a person can do with just a sense of love touch and a sense of sound six degrees of Durville Martin Tony am I supposed uh, to know who that is well I'll let you know Durville Martin is actually an that's actor right, we're doing this he is an actor of of 
some renown who somehow seems to be a linchpin through if not all a lot of 70s black exploitation films did you see dolomite is my name the eddie murphy film yeah it's the character that wesley snipes plays okay that's Durville Martin. Yes. Okay. And he, he is, he is oh, an, I, suppose, I should know who that is. But yeah, I, he is an actor. He is an actor that shows up in almost every black exploitation film you can you, you speak of. <laughs> Yet he also shows up in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with wow. Spencer Tracy and Sidney Poitier. And Rosemary's Baby. And Rosemary's wow. Baby. Wow. So so he, he he's a man that touches eras uh-huh. and, and touches every aspect of Hollywood. And our game show. Vincent will attempt in six movies or less to get from Durvell Martin to an actor of my choice and feel free to try and help him along this along the way, Tony. Okay. Or sit and be amazed as all of the missionaries and all of our past guests have been. Yes. Yes. No pressure. All right. All right. We got, we've, we've got two for you, Vincent. Two. All right. All so, right. are we going to? Are you going to go with this? Or are you going to go with that? I'm always going to go with this because this go, is where it's at. We're going to go start yeah. with this, and we're going to start with this. Is from last week. We didn't get to this one. Okay. Didn't get to this one last week. Vincent and leftover Durvel. Leftover Durvel. It's going to be the name of my punk rock group. <laughs> In six movies or less, get from Durvel Martin. Durvel Martin too. Two. Uh, hold on one second. Oh, that's the wrong one. Uh-uh. Uh, get from Daryl Martin to Paula Patton. Paula Patton. Paula Patton. Okay. Actress Paula Patton. <sighs> okay, Paula Patton. How do I want to get to Paula Patton is the question. Very underrated actress. Underrated I feel like I can get to her a couple of ways. We'll we'll settle for one. Oh, I know who I know <laughs> I, I know who I'll use because it was her birthday either today or yesterday. Dervo Martin is in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Sydney Portier. Mm-hmm. Sydney Portier is in Uptown Saturday Night with Richard Pryor. Okay. Richard Pryor is in Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy. Okay. Eddie Murphy is in Dreamgirls mm-hmm. with Loretta Devine. Okay. Who's in Jumping the Broom with Paula Patton? Okay. All right. I, okay. I got to check on Paul. I got to check on Jumping the Broom. That's, yeah. That's... She plays uh, Lance, Lance Alonzo's mother. She Paula Patton. No, plays. no, no. Loretta Devine does. Oh, I'm about to say That'd be a weird film. If that's, Paula that's, that's weird casting. Yeah, I don't. I don't see that. I like. You know. I mean, I. She may be older. I don't think she's that much older. Um. Uh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're. Jumping the broom was Sanaa Lathan. No. Uh. Jump. Jumping the broom. So Paula Patton is in that film. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely. Cr- Correct. Uh, I don't show that uh, Sanaa Lathan is in Jumping the Broom. No, okay. she, she, yeah, she and Lance Alonzo are going to get married and hijinks ensue. Not really hijinks. It's actually a better film than you think it is. Okay. But, I, um, I've not seen the film. You checked it? You I checked Loretta it. Divine? You're right. Yeah, yeah Red Divine Places. Yeah. yeah That's she's impressive. Very impressive, Vincent. There you go. 
But now it's time for that. And now it is time for that. All right. This has escalated. Oh, it has. Into that. In six movies or less, get six from movies or less. Dervell Martin. Dervell Martin. To, to Academy Award winning actress. Uh-oh. Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. How am I gonna get to Francis McDormand? All right. Dervil Martin mm-hmm. is in Five on the Black Hand Side with Dick Anthony Williams, mm-hmm. who's in Mo Better Blues with Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. who's in Devil in a Blue Dress with Don Cheadle, right? who's in Boogie Nights with William H. Macy, uh, <laughs> who's in Fargo with Francis McDermott. Very good, Vince. I was just thinking about Boogie Nights the other night, the other day. My daughter um, is is a camp counselor, and she said a magician came. And whenever someone says something about a magician, I always think about Don Cheadle in Boogie Nights saying to um, the character who's going to be a magician, it doesn't bother you consorting with the dark arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Boogie Nights. Oh, Boogie Nights is good. It's fun. How have you, uh, all right, all right, what fine, mean, fine. What do you mean? How have I fine, never seen Boogie Nights? I, I, I just, I've never seen it. I just feel like someone else should be in charge of your TV sometimes. <laughs> Why? Like the things that you watch when you could be watching other things. What? I mean, I just haven't seen it. I'm uh, not, I'm not a huge Mark Wahlberg guy. So he doesn't, you know. He's one small part. He's the lead in the movie. Once you see it, you'll know that that's actually ironic. Yes, I know. I I do know that part. I know what the movie's about. And I kind of want to see it because I'm a Burt Reynolds fan. And that's the movie. He's great in it. You know, that he was, I I think he was nominated. He didn't win the Oscar. Yeah, he's great in it. But I I, I just haven't sat down with it. It's been a long time, but I remember really liking that film, though, I think. (laughs) See, John C. Riley. John C. Riley becomes a magician. <laughs> Have you guys been watching him on Winning Time? Yes, I did. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I haven't watched the whole thing. I think I've seen two okay. episodes, and he is really good. He's excellent in that. Yeah, show. he's yeah, excellent in that really show. Good. Yeah, I, 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 that actually show won me over. Uh, you know, I, I, I like, but I, you know, I've heard a lot of criticism from the from people who are actually there, but. Right. Yeah. You don't know. It's great. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. But say, don't tell Kareem you don't like it. I mean, that you like it. Yeah. Or Jerry yeah, West. Or, or Jerry West. Like but a lot of people who were there, who are part of it, the real story, don't like it. But mm, it was entertaining to me. <laughs> I love say. that lead guy who plays Magic. He is a star. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. He's good. great. And he actually... 100% you buy him as as Magic Johnson. I yeah. do and he's just so likable. He's talk about charismatic. Mm-hmm. He is just so charming. I mean I I hope that he goes on to do a lot of things cuz I just he's fun to watch. Yeah, Quincy, Quincy Isaiah is the actor's name. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. He's actually he's actually very good. And to and to be fair, uh so is the 
the actor that they cast as Kareem as well. I think that yeah, he, he is too. And the guy who plays cast. Mark Nixon is really strong also. Yeah. Who is Devon Nixon? That's I was about his to son. say, she's been studying right. Norm Nixon his entire right. life. I know. <laughs> he's a good actor, though. He's also on Snowfall, and he's really good. I, I, you know what? I, 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 I got to return to Snowfall. Mm-hmm. I got to return to Snowfall. No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> you can watch Boogie Nights. <laughs> uh, um, but that actor is so good on it. I mean, there's a lot of really strong performances on Snowfall, so it you know, do, do return to it. <laughs> um, Ashy Feet hits us up on YouTube to let us know, Vincent, you missed the connection because Denzel Washington and Francis McDermott are both in Macbeth. Oh my Macbeth. God, they're both in Macbeth. Oh, right. That I'm so, so busy. Cool. I'm so busy thinking about Boogie Nights and consorting with the dark arts. I didn't mm-hmm. even remember Farg, uh, Macbeth. Yeah, which you... Which I love. You love. I adore, yeah. Man. I still yeah. haven't watched it yet. Um, all right. Well, well done, Vincent, as always. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Very, That's impressive yeah. that you can just do that. You do that every week? Yeah, it's it's wow. it's it's weird. I feel like I should get people to buy me drinks. So you just have like an encyclopedic like knowledge of films that allows you to do that? Encyclopedic is a really strong word. <laughs> okay. So you don't have that? It, it's, it's, a, it's, like a, it's a it's a it's it's a lot of stuff up there. Okay. <laughs> well, that's great. great. Do you teach film? No, no, teach English. I oh. use film. I do use film though. Okay. We actually just finished Raisin in the Sun. There you go. Yeah. Well Which, done. Weren't there a few versions? Oh, there's only one version that matters. The, Sydney the Portier and oh. yeah, Sydney Portier and Diane Sands and Ruby D. That's, that's the that's the ver- that's, that's the one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, everything that's else the one. is just whatever. Exactly. Unless you see a stage production. Unless you see a stage production. To be fair. To be fair, I have seen one. I saw Starletta Dupas, I think, in in it. It might have been in the '90s or '80s, even. Um, and I think it was at the Roundabout. I was a reader when I, I was acting back in the day, and I was a reader like for auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that she's the person who ended up doing it. Um, but yeah, it is it is great to see it on stage. Uh, Alana. Alana Hyman says, hi, everyone. First time here. And hey, Alana. Also, also agrees that the original film adaptation of Raisin in the Sun is absolutely the only one that matters. So she's coming in with hot takes. Got to, hey, coming in hot. Why do you guys say that? Did you, did you see the one with Puffy? <laughs> you know what? It is so funny that you're saying that. They were, they were actually playing it this weekend. The one on with one, Puffy? With the okay. one with Puffy on one of the stations. Okay. It was like on Cleo, one of them. And I gritted my teeth the whole film. The decisions that they made, how they move away from the play, drove me insane. Okay. And Puffy's just not a good actor. I mean, he's not an actor. You know, it yeah. seems a little unfair Don't tell him that. to pile on him for this. Yeah. But, he, I mean, he was completely out of his depth. So... But I yes, thought I he thought. was better than I thought he was going to be. Though. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I was expecting it to be terrible, but I, I didn't think he was terrible. Um, but he's not, you know, yes, he's not an actor. But I thought that was interesting to try yeah. to do that. It was kind of like the way that um, 
uh, James Franco, like was doing all everything, like, you know, getting a PhD and writing stories and all this. It was like, Puff Daddy is going to like, he's going right. to stage and produce music and do everything. Um, well, that's what I said. I said, if you had the opportunity to do it and we're not going to get into raisin in the sun weeds, it is something kind of meta about Puffy playing a character whose biggest dream is to be an entrepreneur. And like, that's his way into the American dream. And, and you have some, you have a black man who has succeeded mm-hmm. beyond your wildest dreams playing this character. I, I did begrudgingly like the poetry of that. Mm-hmm. That's a but good then, point. Yeah. But then they're doing stuff like showing mama on her last day of work. And it's like, no, she's retired. That's the whole point. All right. I'm sorry. That's okay. okay. <laughs> then they kept showing different sets like the point is the the, the apartment is claustrophobic mm-hmm. so you can't keep blowing out the apartment and showing them in different places otherwise him being frustrated like, all right yeah. all right all right that's it that's no it. but I, I i get what you're saying i mean that that the the apartment being claustrophobic like lends itself to this is why we need a house this is why we want to buy a house and exactly get out of yeah that's that's why he's just prowling around this place like a caged tiger all right that's it go ahead go ahead go ahead okay I thought I was good I didn't go into Macbeth true so go ahead but but Tony gave you those breadcrumbs I and you know ate them it, up. it doesn't take much. <laughs> Sorry, it's my fault. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's it's absolutely fine. I don't have the rules. I, you know, I haven't been here before, so <laughs> I should just. Well, we we hope that you enjoyed yourself because we would I love did. to have you return. Yes, yes. I did. Oh, yeah, and you didn't. We didn't bring up Superfly, the return of Superfly. Oh well, we haven't <laughs> reviewed it yet, so. Oh ugh, no, I don't. <laughs> Like the return of Superfly. I mean, you're spared three the hard way, but we could do Return of Superfly next time. No, I just told you about it because I'm in it. And so is Sam Jackson's in it. Like everybody who was in New York in the mid 80s is in that film. Oh, wait. Uh, oh, Sam no. Jackson's in it. Tico Wells is in it. Um, Luis Ramos is in it. There's, uh, there's so many actors. Like, <laughs> There's so many of us, like it was the summer, I think, of 86. And if you were in New York and you weren't working, like you were in that movie. There was like everybody's in it. Oh, my God. You're selling it. Oh, you're actually oh my selling God. it. You know what? I, I, yeah, I, I, but they wouldn't tell. I don't think anybody else would admit to it. <laughs> oh, well, you just did. I didn't know Samuel Jackson was in The Return of Superfly. The guy who produced Superfly, Sig Shore, directed The Return of Superfly. Well, that, well, there you go. There, there you go. Well, first of all, first of all, Samuel Jackson was in everything in the eighties. We've learned that. Yeah, this We've was learned... long before he was a star. Like, this right. Was, yeah. He a check. He would he would just show up and stuff like you know I swear he's in like in the background of the animated oh, Robin Hood he's in everything boy. but like <laughs> quiet is kept Tony Ann Johnson has already booked herself. No, I'm not reviewing that film. That oh yes, film. you are. I think <laughs> I think you kind of buried the lead. <laughs> like Ruby Bridges is very impressive, and your book is coming out. You didn't mention you were in the return of Superfly. 
No, I'm in Ruby Bridges too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It. I emailed you guys. Oh, no, she did. I was about to say, no, she I didn't. I didn't do my. I didn't. No, she mentioned it. She mentioned it. No, I did only because you know Gordon Parks Jr. directed Superfly, and I was like, oh, that's a connection. Um, but right, the scene, right. like. I have two scenes and I can only remember one of them, but in the one scene that I have, my partner uh, vomits in the toilet. <laughs> and I have, and the scene starts with like, Bleh! and then I have a line. And I have that on my reel because I, have, I looked like it was just on my acting reel. So thank God I could write. When I like I you know I when I made the reel I just I didn't think about it. and then I looked at it years later I was like oh my god <laughs> Tony and Johnson <laughs> Oh god Oh god Okay okay let's see if we can talk talk Tony into this So Tony in May we we devote the entire month of May to it's called Mother May I Have Another it's devoted to black films, which, to be fair, on the surface, don't seem like they're going to be a good film, right? It, it, it usually plays out that, that, that they're not. But to be fair, we don't know, right? Would you do us the honor of returning in May? So you've got, you've got a plenty of time to, to build up your, to build it up, return in May to review the return of Superfly with us. We promise to get you in on any other film that you want in between then, you know, choose the film. But in May, can you, will you return to review the return of Superfly? Let me think about that. (laughs) I'll take that. Okay. All right. All right, we've got a def- we've got a definite maybe. I would just be making fun of it, and I don't like I don't like to bash. Well, Sick Shore is dead, so I guess he won't care. Back in the '90s, I lived in New York, and there was a video store like right near where I lived, and I went in and I wanted to get the film because I hadn't seen it, and a child, a child made me. She was like, "You want to see what?" <laughs> like this little. She was like 11. She was like, oh, that film is terrible. You don't want to see that. Mommy, look at what that lady's getting. So it's been a source of humiliation over the years. Just walk away from the lady. Come here, baby. Come here, baby. (laughs) Well, you said you'll think about it. So we'll take that. There's yeah. one film that I saw recently that I just have to ask you, like, what you guys think. And it's the, um, I think it's called A Long Hot Summer with um, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And um, what's his name? Citizen Kane. Orson Welles is in it also. Have you guys seen that? Oh, you know what? I I haven't seen that, but I Watch think that. I think it is actually streaming on, like, TCM. It is available on something because I recently watched it and it was it was somewhere you could stream it. Um, yeah, yeah, because because they were doing like they do like uh, August with the Stars and one day was Orson Welles movies. Okay, and I think that that was there and I was like, oh, that's an Orson Welles movie that I have. This haven't. movie is so good. It Martin Ritt directed it and it. Oh, sounds good, right there. That come out of the actor's studio. 
Mm-hmm. It's not the greatest film, like from you know, from a black perspective. There are just only the only black characters are like servants and people, but it's not, you know, it's not like Gone with the Wind. It's not. Yeah. Like, it's not. It do, It doesn't. It doesn't make the black people look bad, but it's just you know that time. So it's not great for that. But man, I watched this film and I. It was like one of the best things I've ever seen. The acting was so. The script was so good it's so so like i couldn't believe how good it is i posted on facebook the next day like i never really talked but the script was so witty and fun and so much subtext and it's beautiful and paul newman is young and hot and joanne woodward is young and there's all this sexual tension and it's just an amazing it's a brilliant film except there are parts where you can't understand what the hell orson welles is saying well that's orson welles yeah and I did some research and people thought at the time that he did it on purpose, that he was making fun of actors from the actor studio, that he purposely was like, mom. And I, so I'm watching the film. I was like, what did he say? I'm like, put on the closed captioning. Cause I couldn't, I had no idea, but it's still a great film. So I, I highly recommend that. Okay. It's not appropriate for this show. It's not a black movie, but it's a good movie. Oh, I definitely want to check it out. I don't know if Vincent will watch it because it's from 1958. So that makes it clear. I mean, that's definitely a segregation film. Yeah. So if my father went to see that, he would have had to sit in the balcony. Yeah. So I think that counts. So would you, would, would you, I mean, I like, watch it? I, I like the cast. Okay. So, and, and, yeah. I wonder, I, I wonder, I guess so. Um, but I know that Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward um, were deaf, were not racist. And, and oh no, very oh no, they weren't racist. Yeah, very progressive. All right, we're going to go check that out. Long hot summer. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. She does have a website, TonyAnnJohnson dot com. T o n i a n n j o h n s o n. And her book, Light Skin Gone to Waste, it comes out in October, but you can pre order it now online bookstores everywhere. Light Skin Gone to Waste, new book by author Tony Ann Johnson, Thank new you. friend of the Michelle Mission and soon to return. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we get out of here, we invite you to follow the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast. Every Black film ever made, go to michellemission.com where you can hit swag to check out all the cool designs and gifts that we have available to you by way of our good friends at Public. If you want to email us, you can email us at michellemission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 215-867-9666 and tell Vincent and Len what is on your mind. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Mission. Subscribe to YouTube and Twitch at Mission, And wherever you check out our podcast please give us a five-star rating and a review especially if it's on spotify and apple Podcasts. we that really helps people find our show i cannot express how much if you if you you know we don't want you to buy anything from t public if you can't afford it and it's going to give you any type of financial hardship but if you really want to help us i cannot express how much just giving us a five-star rating and even more a review on either spotify or apple podcast does to help raise us in their algorithms get uh, gets us even more exposure uh on those directories um so we really appreciate all you can do we've been sitting at i think we're 
at something like uh, 49, you know, uh, ratings on Spotify and just under 175 on on reviews on Apple Podcasts. Would love to get those up to 100 and 200, you know, before the end of the year. So uh, tell a friend if you've already given us a review, tell a friend to do it, uh, to check us out and, and share the show. We really, really do appreciate that. All right. And the, the, the show mission is a proud member of the podglomerate, the podglomerate.com. They make podcasts work next week here on the Michelle mission. We are continuing our look into the magical movie year of 1975. And boy, we pulling, we pulled out arguably saving the best for last. Yeah. Oh yeah. From 1975, Lawrence Hilton Jacob mm. and I just uh Glenn Turman mm. in Cooley High. Cooley High. How do I see you, you you get sad every time you hear it? Immediately. Immediately. That's next week here on the Michelle Mission. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again.